are continuing a series the second week called Google Searching for Something. And the idea is that for many of us, we're, we're all in search of knowledge. And Google's a, a place that oftentimes we go when we're in search of things like pizza or we're in search of things like, you know, how, how do I get out, get my car out of the stuck snow or whatever. The, you know, so all those things that, that we need to know, we Google, we search for. But um, sometimes we search for answers in the wrong place. Like if you've ever you needed to replace your alternator and you went and watched Paula Deen's cooking show, it probably didn't help you in learning how to replace your alternator. And, uh, you know, sometimes we look for answers in the wrong sources. Sometimes we look for answers and, you know, for, for dumb things. But sometimes we make the big mistake of actually searching for answers of very big questions in our life, things like, you know, how do I deal with my marriage? How do I deal with relationships? How do I deal with my finances? And we look at places that are really aren't the best source. Like lately, I've, I've been looking, as when it comes to relationships, I really look to Justin Bieber because um, baby, 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 I mean, it's, that's, that's where I, I find all my help. Um, sometimes, though, we can find some, some bad sources of information. So this series, last week I encouraged you as a church, hey, let's look to the Word of God as a source of truth, as a source of answers, even if you don't even believe it. Because you don't even have to believe the Bible to read it. You don't necessarily believe the newspaper before you read it. You don't watch you don't watch the news just because you believe it. No, you watch the news and then you decipher for yourself whether it's true or not. You don't read, you don't believe everything you read on the internet. It's the same thing that's true with the Bible. You don't necessarily have to say, I believe everything in order to be able to read it. Now, I, I hope that you believe it and I want to help you believe it today. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, and also, just as a part of that, last week we said that the Word of God is very different than the average book. It's not just a book. It's a it's a collection of books. It's actually sixty six books written by over forty authors over fifteen hundred years. We talked about that um, from all different types of people, um, all different walks of life. But yet somehow it is it is the voice and message of God to you. And so oftentimes when we talk to Christians and talk to people um, who say they believe in God, I say, "Do you read God's word?" And they say, "No, but I pray." And the problem with that is, is oftentimes we talk to God, but we don't hear from God. And the way that God has designed for us to hear from him is by his word, the scripture. And I'm glad he has put it down in words and not just spoke it audibly because um, I have this this issue with my ear. I'm mostly deaf in my right ear. And things that do come through my right ear are really garbled. It's like, rawr, rawr. it's like the teacher and Charlie Brown. You know what I'm talking about? Rawr, 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 rawr. That's, that's what I hear in this ear. So if you're on this side of me and you talk to me, I probably won't hear a lot of what you say. Like the other day, my wife says, Jay, your face is ugly. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, what did you say to me? And she's like, Jay, your dinner is ready. You know, and I'm, so I just sometimes I just don't hear exactly. What, but luckily, God's word is written down so we can't confuse what it says. And we can have and today is going to be about how can we actually know what it says is really what it says. Can we really trust this? Can we really trust this Bible? Because you see, when you when you look up, when you Google something, when you read how to find pizza, and it says Simpsonville, 
you know, Papa John's is on the corner of this. You just kind of trust. Well, I, I get, that's probably true. So I'm going to go drive over there and see if that's where the pizza place is true. You know, we, it's easy for us to accept truth, things as true when we read them. But how do you determine, have you ever thought about, how do you determine whether something is true or not? And why is it that sometimes you hear stuff, like you hear somebody say something, you'll be like... That is just not true. Have you ever done that? Like somebody says something and there's no real reason for you to say it's not true other than you just inside you just go, man, that's just not, that's just not true, right? And maybe you've listened to a song and you go, man, that just sounds so true. I was listening to Keisha the other day. She's my favorite. No, I really don't listen to her. She has a song that's called We Are Who We Are. And I'm like, yes, Keisha, that is so true. We are who we are. Preach it, sister. You know, so, you know, sometimes we, we just, some things just feel true, Right? And, and if you ever ask the question, why? Why do some things feel true and some things don't? And, and how do we even decipher truth? A couple, couple of things I came up with. Number one is we go by past experience. You know, if, if you're a person who's had a bad experience with certain things, then, then you will probably say in the future, oh, that, that just doesn't work. All right? That just does, you can't do that because I tried that a long time ago and it just didn't work. So you will, you will determine truth, whether things work or not, sometimes by your past experience or maybe what you're doing currently. Um, also, you, you determine truth by collective agreement. If a lot of other people are saying that it's true, then, then you'll go, well, it, it must be true, right? You, you fell prey to this when you were a kid in high school. I'm going to have many scars from people saying, dude, you got to do this. I know that you can, all right? And many, many mistakes. Just recently... Actually, this last weekend, um, my wife used the power of collective agreement to um, to persuade me to do something. I don't know if, if you have been on Facebook or the Internet, but my wife posted this picture. I want to show you this. This is my daughter. We just adopted her. And um, we had put her down for a nap, and she just was crying. And we're like, she's got to take a nap. So she was up there crying about 10 minutes. Finally, I go upstairs to check on her, and I find her like this. She is asleep, standing up, leaning out over the crib. And she's like, you know, kind of snorting, <laughs> leaning over the crib. And so my wife, very lovingly, she posts on Facebook, please, uh, you know, tell my husband, Jay, he needs to lower the crib. So um, yesterday, I probably had like 100 messages of everyone saying, Jay, lower the stinking crib you know so finally i said okay so yesterday believe it or not i lowered the crib so now she's not hanging over completely now she's just like this it's like she's encaged you know she's like let me out you know so um but the power of collective agreement sometimes if, if a lot of people come around you and say no you need to do this this is true then we'll we'll believe that and sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not right just because people say it's true doesn't necessarily mean that it's true right Right, definitely. Just because people say it's true doesn't always mean that it is. And, and maybe a better way of, of actually determining whether something is true, true or not is to actually do our research and do our research and look at things over a period of time. And I want to give you a, a glimpse today, a, just a little bit of research about the Bible. There's a whole lot more research about the Bible and the reliability of it and whether it's true or not. But if you're a Christian and, you, and you, you trust this word, that's great. But sometimes I meet a lot of Christians that don't even know why they even trust the Bible. They'll get, they'll, they're scared to get questions at work because the guys at work will say, well, I'm not even sure that's even true. And you don't know what to say. You know, or the guy where says, well, what about, you know, what about this? You know, I saw, I read this article. They just found Jesus' tomb and he was in there. And, you know, so he must not be alive. You know, you hear stuff like that. So you're like, well, I just don't know what to say. So obviously... I, 
I, I don't even want to talk about it at work because I really don't know what to say. Well, I want to give you a few things this morning that will hopefully help you in understanding. Hey, let's, let's look at what, um, if we can really say this thing is true or not. And it's super important that we do this. And, and the reason why is because, and I don't know if you even know this, but the, the Bible has been the most scrutinized book. The validity of the Bible has been the most scrutinized book in history. Name me another book where you see TV shows all the time. You hear people talk about it. You hear people debate it um, about whether this book is true or not. And they, they, they do, they spend, you know, thousands of dollars, millions of dollars doing research, doing archaeological digs, all in search of whether this book is true or not. Why would they do that? But here's why. Because if this book really is true, then the impact that it has on the world is unbelievable. If you really can rely and believe everything that you read in this book, well, then that's, that's a pretty big deal, right? That's a really big deal. If this is really right, if this really is true, then how you view the world changes. And so it's really important that we are able to at least say, hey, is this thing really reliable or not? And I want to use a test today, just kind of briefly, something that um, a guy created in 1952, um, a guy named um, Stephen, the heck was his name, Stephen Sanders created this uh, test to, to see whether historical documents were true or not. And so they go through this process of all different types of historical documents to see whether it's true or not. And a couple, here's, here's how they do it in a couple different ways. The, the first test that they test the Bible with is called an internal test. Internal test is really easy. It's, it's basically when you read the, the Bible, do people who wrote the Bible, do they believe what they're saying is true? Do the people in the Bible claim it as truth or do they say hey this is just a made-up story right i want to read to you a passage in second peter chapter 1 verse 16 if you have a bible you can turn with me if you don't uh, you can look up on the screen but this is a a passage you you need to remember because this is very important as you talk to other people about the word of god here's what second peter 1 16 says we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. In other words, the author of this letter in Second Peter, he's saying, I did not just make this stuff up. This is not a story. This is something I saw. I was an eyewitness to this. So if you ask the question, did the authors of the Bible believe that it was true? Um, this is just one small example of, of many people in the Bible who, who claim what they write is true history. There's, there's never a book, and there's not one book in the Bible that says, this is kind of a made-up story, it's kind of fun, unless you know Jesus gives parables, but that's different. But this was all passed by the internal test. So if you say, hey, does it pass the internal test? Yes, it does. Well, there's another kind of test. It's called the external test. External test just says, hey, are there other documents? If we don't even, let's just not even look at the Bible. Let's go look at other stuff that other people have written. Do what other people say about the Bible around the same time, do, do they back it up? Or do they say there were these freaks, they were making up these stories? What do other people say? Well, believe it or not, there are lots of other documents other than the Bible that are out there that talk about events that happen in the Bible. One of the most famous ones is a guy, a historian named Josephus. And he's a guy that you, if you do some research about the Bible, you'll hear about him. 
the cool thing about Josephus in his writings as a historian, he doesn't just talk about a few people. He talks about lots of people. He talks about Jesus. He talks about John the Baptist. He talks about writers of the New Testament. Listen to what he says um, talking about Jesus. And this is not in the Bible. Okay, This is just a book that Josephus wrote. Um, and he says, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. So here's a guy who's not even in the Bible. The Bible doesn't even talk about him. And here's a guy who's writing about the Bible, and he says that Jesus is the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal, and, and when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had commended him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day. So it even recognizes that he died on the cross, that he rose again on the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. So here's a guy who wrote about it and confirmed that what the Bible is talking about also he says it's true, too. And it's not just Josephus. There's lots of other writers. There's even um, Roman writers. There's a guy named Tacitus who talked about Jesus. And he talked about it from a Roman perspective. He says there, was this, there were these people commonly called Christians who were hated for their enormities. Christus, he calls them, the founder of that name, was put to death as a criminal by Pontius Pilate. Procreator, of, or uh, pro, <laughs> that's the wrong word name to word to say not procreator um procurator of judea in the reign of tiberius um so he even says hey there was this guy named jesus and he was killed by pontius pilate so even he testifies to it there's lots of other ones um lots lots of other writers that we found um, a lot of different writings that people talk about the bible so you can say well it kind of does pass that test but what what about archaeology what what do people say when they dig stuff up? I've heard, and maybe you've heard this, rumors that archaeology disproves the Bible. If you've heard that, that is extremely false. Extremely false. I, to be real honest, there have been times and there have been things that have come up that have given us great question about whether the Bible, this story in the Bible is true or not. For example, before the 1900s, um, the Bible uh, talks about these people called the Hittites. And before the 1900s, in archaeology, the, peop- the Hittite people had never been discovered. I mean, people looked everywhere. And many people use this as an argument against the Bible, saying it must not be true because the Hittites are not real. We've never found them in archaeology. talks about these cities, never even seen them in archaeology, never dug them up. And uh, in 1906, a man, a man found some tablets, actually had information about the Hittite people. So all of a sudden people are like, whoa, here's something we thought was not true. And now we're discovering something that the Bible said was true. And now to this day, they've uncovered like even the capital city of the Hittites and tons of artifacts and tons of literature and things on these people. So over time, archaeologists has given, archaeology has given us the ability to say, look, even the things that the Bible talks about, the stories, the people, the places, even though we can't see them now, when we dig it up, we find out that it's actually true. Listen to what this very famous um, archaeologist says. He's, um, he's a guy who was a professor in, in um, Israel. And he says, where is he? Nelson Gluick. I don't even know how to say his name. But here's what he says. One of the greatest 
archaeologists of all times. He says, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. In other words, they haven't ever dug anything up that says, well, the Bible's not true now because this tells us that this, you know, means this. Never. That's a pretty big deal, guys. That's a huge deal. And so I hear this a lot. Well, science doesn't back up the Bible. Well, that's, that's a crock because archaeology is science. It's the science of, of old stuff, right? They dig up junk, like bones and pots and stuff, right? So they go, uh, so they, but they dig this stuff up and they say, hey, this, this Bible is legit. So it passes the external test with huge flying covers, passes internal, passes the external. And there's one more test that he had, and it was called the bibliographic test. And I know some of you are having flashbacks to high school, and don't worry, I'm not going to give you any tests. Okay, so um, you can relax. But the, basically, the bibliographic test is a pretty simple idea. Basically, it says, do the, do the manuscripts that we have, the texts that we have, are they reliable? Are they reliable, or does someone come in and change things and mess things up? If there's only one copy, can we really be sure that that's the right copy? Maybe, you know, a piece broke off and we're missing parts of words here or languages here. And the, the amazing thing about the Bible is, is this has been tested, you know, with lots of different books and lots of different people have, have studied the Bible in this way and given it this test. Here's the cool thing. Maybe you, when you were in high school, you read this book called Homer's Iliad. Have you ever read that? Have you read that? That is considered to be um, the most um, the most reliable ancient document outside of the Bible. In other words, they have a lot of copies of the original manuscript that we don't have the original manuscript. We have lots of copies of it. We have a lot of copies of the original manuscript, and they have 643 copies of Homer's Iliad. So when you read it, you can know that you're getting what Homer really wrote. Now, in the Bible, guess how many copies there might would be. You think maybe seven, eight hundred? Would that make you feel better if the best one that they say definitely works is Homer's Iliad at 643? It's actually, they have over 24,000 copies of the New Testament. 24,000 copies. Unbelievable. That they, that they can know that what we have is extremely accurate, not just because... Not because there's just one copy. Some people think for some reason that there's just this one copy made and everybody's just translating the Bible from this one copy. Not, not true at all. Not true at all. There's thousands and thousands of copies that we've been able to piece together, to put the Bible together. One thing that was really cool too that happened in, the, in 70 AD, Rome was trying to kill all the Christians and try to wipe them out from history. All right? As they were trying to wipe them out from history, the Jews did something really smart. They took some of their copies of their manuscripts, copies of the Bible, copies of what they call the Masoretic text, which was copies of the Hebrew um, Old Testament, and they put them in bottles, and they hid them in caves. These, these, these bottles literally stayed hidden for thousands of years until, um, until 1947. A Bedouin shepherd stumbled upon a bottle in a cave. And he pulled this bottle out and was this old scroll. And they're like, what in the world is this? Come to find out, we now call these the Dead Sea Scrolls, but it was a copy of the Bible. It was a copy of text from the Bible. And they found, they found lots of them now through archaeology. We found um, lots of different sources and lots of different of these um, Dead Sea Scrolls. And when we, we look at them versus the other stuff that we had, the copies are incredibly accurate. 
So these, these things that have been sitting in caves for 2,000 years we pull out that matches the same stuff we have in here. Pretty impressive. So when you look at these, the tests of internal, yes, external, yes, bibliographic tests, we can say, man, this, this thing is, is unbelievable. This thing has got to be accurate. This thing has got to be true. The other thing that is kind of cool about the Bible is the Bible has a lot of what we call prophecies. Have you ever watched a movie and tried to guess the end of it, right? Have you, have you ever watched the weather and they say, I think it's going to, you know, and it never really works out, right? Well, the, the Bible are not, the people in the Bible were not like weathermen, okay? They, they knew what was going to happen somehow because God spoke to them. And believe it or not, there's over a thousand prophecies in the Bible of things that would happen in the future. Maybe you've never read that or heard that, but there's over a thousand things that the Bible proclaims are going to happen in the future. Guess what? Lots of them, almost all of them happen. Some of them haven't happened yet. That's why I say lots. But almost all of them have happened already. 300 of those prophecies were about Jesus. And guess what? Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies. Some cool stuff like, you know, you've heard... You know, Mary was a virgin. But did you know that the Bible said way before Mary ever came that she would be a virgin? In Isaiah 7, it says that there'll be a virgin with child and he'll give birth to a son. He'll be the savior of the world. That was written, you know, a thousand years before Jesus ever comes. And yet in Matthew 1, it was fulfilled. In Micah 5, it says that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. Guess where he was born? Bethlehem. That's just two of those. All right, the other one that, that, that Isaiah 11 says is that he would be anointed with the Spirit. And he would also, it says he would come um, riding on a donkey. Guess what? In John 12, he, f- he fulfills that. He fulfills being um, filled with the Spirit in Matthew 3. He fulfills coming on a donkey in John 12, written way before Jesus ever come, came. And he fulfilled these prophecies. Just crazy stuff that happened. Um, Isaiah 50 talks about him being beaten and spat upon. Guess what? He fulfilled that one in Matthew 26 when he died on the cross. There was another one in Psalms 22 said that, that people would cast lots or like throw dice for his clothing. That was written, you know, a long time ago before Jesus ever came. And guess what happened? John 19, it says that the soldiers rolled dice, cast lots for his clothes. How does all that stuff happen? This, there was this guy who... Um, this professor name is Peter Stoner, and he was a real stoner. No, he wasn't high. Uh, this was his name. But he, uh, he said, hey, what would be the chances of Jesus fulfilling a prophecy? So he took a bunch of students with him at his, his, university, his university, and they said, what would it take? What would be the probability of Jesus fulfilling just eight? Pro-? That's not eight. You get it. <laughs> eight prophecies. Okay, eight prophecies. And he said, if, if Jesus were to fulfill eight prophecies, it would be the, the probability that it would be 10 to the power of 17. All right, 10 with a little 17 on top, 17 zeros. That's the probability of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies. There are 300 prophecies about Jesus, and he's fulfilled every single one. Here's the crazy thing just to kind of give you. Maybe you've heard this before. I think it's a fun illustration. But basically they say... That number is like you taking a silver dollar, making an X on it and throwing, going to Texas somewhere in Texas and throwing it somewhere in Texas. You go to Dallas, you go to Lubbock, you go to Fort Worth, you go down to Houston, which some people call Houston. I don't know why, but you throw it somewhere in the state of Texas and then you dump 
right? That 10 to the power of 17 silver dollars in Texas, and it would all over the state of Texas, and it would fill Texas two feet high worth of silver dollars. Then the chances of Jesus fulfilling just eight prophecies would be the chances of you dropping into Texas, blindly picking up one of those silver dollars and having the one with the X on the back. Not a very good chance, right? That's if Jesus just fulfilled eight. He fulfilled 300. Pretty crazy that that we have a Bible that has such miraculous, incredible reliability. The reliability of this Bible is so important. Here's why. Because every day you have the opportunity to sit down and read this. And some of you will read this and you will say, I'm just not sure about that. And some of you will say, you know, I, I believe this is true. Here's the thing. You can know without a shadow of a doubt because of the research that this book is true. But I know that ultimately, for a lot of you, you're going to say, that's just not enough for me. And, you know, and, that, and that's okay, because you know what? Christianity is not just about research. It's about this thing called faith. So Jesus didn't call us just to do our research. Jesus called us to believe and have, have faith. The cool thing is, we don't have to be stupid Christians. You know, stupid people are people who just, who are people without knowledge. You know, people who just are ignorant of, of what they, of, they're ignorant of, of the truth. And the reality is this, this book has been scrutinized over and has been found to be reliable. And when you pick this thing up, you can know it to be true. And that's why I had you guys read this week in Proverbs. There's a verse in Proverbs that you hopefully read. Um, if, if you didn't take one of those little things home with you last week, I have kind of like a little bookmark that gives you a daily Bible reading. Had you guys read just through some first um, few chapters of Proverbs because Proverbs is a really cool book. But there's a, a verse in Proverbs I want to pull out. You read it, I think, on day three, actually day four. Um, and it's Proverbs chapter three and it's verse five and six. And that says this. Trust and the Lord with all your heart. Hear that word trust? You see, the reality of belief in God comes down to, to trust. Comes down to n- not is this text just true, but do you say it's true? See, I could give you lots of facts and lots of cool stuff about why I believe that this, this Bible is true. And that might not convince you, and, and maybe it will. <laughs> Maybe it passed some tests and blah, blah, blah. That's, that's cool. But if I were to look at you and, 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 were, and you were to answer me, if I asked you, well, what about you? Do you believe that it's true? Do you trust the words that are in here? When you sit down and you read this, do you trust it enough to be obedient to these words? Or do you kind of say, well, I don't really like that, what I just read. And you go, I, it doesn't really, you know, doesn't really apply to me because, you know, I, I do, I'm doing my own thing. Or do you say, hey, if this book is really real, then I need to trust it as God's word and believe in it. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then it says this, lean not on your own, what? Understanding. In other words, for us, it's really hard to grasp sometimes because I know this book can be confusing and and life sometimes is, is tough. And sometimes we think we have things figured out on our own. But the Bible says, don't lean on your own understanding. In other words, that means don't get to the place where you think you've got it figured out. 
But instead, it says, trust in the Lord. Here's, here's the cool thing. If we trust in the Lord and we lean not on our own understanding, verse 6, it says this, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. In other words, in all your ways acknowledge him. That means in, in all your ways, go to what he would tell you to do in this book. Go what he would tell you to do and say, hey, if God's told me to do this, I'm just going to, I'm going to try it. I'm going to trust that what he says is going to actually work. I'm going to trust that if he says I should do this, then I guess I should do it. And you do it. And he says, and if you do, he says, you will make your paths straight. He will make, he will, he will lead you and guide you in the direction that you need to go. Um, This book is more than just a book. It is the very words of God. And it is something that you and I need to not just read, but we need to believe and place our faith and our trust in it. And I know, I know for many of us, faith is, is the critical point. And I know for me, just to be real honest, when I came to know Christ, there were some things that I just weren't real sure about. There were some things that I didn't really know whether it was true about. I had doubts. I had questions. But I, I knew I needed something in my life. I knew I needed God to do something because I knew I couldn't do it on my own. I want to read you a passage that I came to that has made a huge difference in my own life. It's Ephesians 2. It's verse 8. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. The ability to place your trust in a book. In a book as the source of truth. That you would say, this is what separates people who just say, talk about God and people who believe in God. This is what you know separates people who just say, I, I'm generally a Christian to someone who follows Jesus. Because a lot of people say, well, yeah, I, I believe that God's there, exists, whatever. Sure, the Bible, yeah, what, what, you know. It, it's probably the word of God, you know, and they'll, they'll say things like that. But to actually apply it and do anything with it, they won't do it. It's the place of faith where we say, hey, I'm, I'm going to actually sit down on this thing and I'm going to actually start applying it and living it out. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it says, this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You see, it's not your smartness that earns you to heaven. It's not your goodness that earns your heaven. It's your ability to trust that what God says is true is true. For many of us, you, you believe, you're kind of not even sure what you believe. You kind of believe the Bible, but you, you go, man, but there's so many things in there that I'm just not sure about. I'm just having a hard time believing. I would ask you just to do this, that you would trust, not in your own understanding, but you would trust in the Lord and it is by grace that you are saved and only through his grace. My question to you is, is pretty simple as, do you believe? Do you have the faith that it takes to believe in this book that maybe it is really true that it's the words of God? You know, because if God has something to say to you, it's in here. It's in here. Are you picking it up daily? Are you picking it up and looking at it to read it to say, this is something I need to believe in and apply to myself? You know, the mission of our church is this. We we say we want to live, love, and serve. Live for God, love others, and serve our community. 
And if I had the ability to say, I, I want to communicate one thing to you as a church, and if I could get you to do one thing in your whole lifespan, if I just had the opportunity to get you to do one thing, it would not, it would not be serve people around you. It would not be be a great husband, be a great mom, be a great parent. It would not be be a godly person. It would not be be holy and righteous and be a missionary in Africa. If I had the opportunity to, to give you one thing that I would, I would want you to do and want you to be, it would be this. A person who reads and applies God's word. Because when you become a person who reads and applies God's word, you become a better husband. You become a better mom. You become a better neighbor and you begin serving people around you. And maybe God will call you to be a missionary in Africa. But if you read his word, it will change you. If you believe it at what it says and take it for, for the truth, it passed the test. It's real. Now, do you, do you apply it? Do you live it? I want to pray for you today. I want to just give you the opportunity to believe this is true. Because I know that, let's, let's be honest, there are some of you who, who aren't really sure that this is true. And you've been kind of teetering back and forth on whether to take this thing as truth or not. And I just want to give you a simple opportunity. We're not going to take long to do this. I just want to give you the opportunity to trust and have faith in Jesus. That, that this year, you're going to start this year out right. And you're going, to start, you're going to start reading this thing. And start believing in something that's actually worth believing in. Because the words of it are true that you can trust it. And it's easy. It's not by how good you are. You don't get saved because you're an awesome person. You don't get saved because you're a smart person. You get saved because God is, is gracious, because he sent Jesus as his son to die on a death on a cross to save you of your sins. And if you believe that and you have faith in that and you trust in that, then you're saved, the Bible says.